0: So um, if, you've been, if you've been tracking with us for a few weeks now, um, you'll know that this is the third week of um, a small sermon series that we've been doing basically since Easter Sunday. It's hard to believe that Easter Sunday was, was two weeks ago. It already feels like such a long time. But we've basically been sort of camping in uh, the last chapter and a bit of chapter 20, well, the Gospel of John. And on Easter Sunday we were talking uh, about the, the resurrection of Jesus and how he appeared to his disciples. And last week we got into talking a little bit about um, Jesus um, approaching and meeting the disciples on the, on the shore um, of the Sea of Galilee and how he had um, uh, miraculously helped them catch just a, a big catch of fish, 153 fish. Um, and so this week we're going to be finishing up uh, this series and, and rounding off this this final sort of installment, if you like, of the, the post-resurrection story that we find in, in the Gospel of John. And so, if you remember last week, if you were here or you heard the sermon, um, I kind of... <clears throat> I said there was something significant about this word burning coals, and I gave this a little teaser last week explaining that I thought there was something quite significant about this. Um, and if you remember from last week, um, In verse 9, it says that when they landed, this is the disciples coming from the Sea of Galilee, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread, and and Jesus was there. Um, And again, last week I mentioned that this word, this Greek word in the New Testament, anthrakiah, we only find it in two places in the whole New Testament, Um, this place here and then the other place is in John chapter 18, verse 18. What's going on there? Well, Peter is standing by a fire, and that's that word anthracia again, uh, by the high priest's courtyard, while Jesus is being interrogated uh, by the Jewish leaders. And this is the, this is the setting where Peter will, will deny Jesus. That's right. And he doesn't, he doesn't deny Jesus once. He doesn't deny him twice. He denies him three times. Three times. So much so that we're told in the scriptures that Peter's he's raining curses down on himself to deny Jesus, saying, I don't know the man. he's he's disowning Jesus. And so here's this word, here's this word that sets up the scene for Peter's um, triple denial. And so what we're seeing here with this word is that the first time the setting was for Peter's triple denial of Jesus. And today we find that same word is now setting the scene to give us the setting for Peter's triple reinstatement. I don't believe that's coincidence. I think that John, the author of this gospel, intentionally used that word, this word for burning coals, to set up both scenes. Peter's denial, Peter's reinstatement. And so after they've eaten, uh, Jesus asked Peter, as we just read that, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And so what Jesus is doing here is He's not trying to set up some kind of competition between him and the other disciples that are there, but it's actually the point is that Jesus is doing this publicly in front of the other disciples because it's important that they see Jesus reinstate Peter for the work that he's going to do in the future. And Peter's answer, his answer actually reveals a lot um, because Peter, he doesn't do what he might typically have done, which is drawn some anecdotal evidence From the past to say how much more faithful he is to the disciple than the other disciples. Um, He doesn't give one of his usual brash responses, such as you know, "I will lay my uh, my life down for you," or "Oh, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Wash my whole body." You know that would be typical Peter response, kind of over the top. Look how much uh, more I am than the other disciples. Now you know all that's all that's gone in this exchange here. All that is gone, and there's actually almost seems to be a certain brokenness in him you know a sense of here is a man who has had to wrestle with his own failures and with his own sense of shame and guilt and so instead of coming up with his own brash answer what does he do he, he defers to jesus and he says yes lord you know you know that i love you and jesus response is to he says feed my lambs, and then again he asks him again, doesn't he? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? This time, not focusing on more than these, but on himself. On Jesus, do you truly love me? And again, Peter responds, "Yes, Lord, I, you know I love you." Jesus responds, "This is this time is take care of my sheep." And then that third time, this is kind of where it stings Peter a little bit, isn't it? Jesus again he says, um, "John." Peter, son of John, do you truly love me? Three times Jesus has asked Peter. He said, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter, of course, is is hurt by this, as, as many of us would be if somebody kept repeatedly asking you, do you love me? Do you love me? And you kept telling him, yes, I do. Um... But it's significant because, you know, this had to happen three times. It had to happen three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times, and so now it was necessary for him to affirm Jesus three times. And again, Peter, he defers to Jesus. This time he adds, though, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And you know what? Jesus does know. He does know that uh, Peter loves him, he knows Peter's heart. Even, even with the denial that he did in Jesus' hour of need, he knows that Peter loves him. And again, Jesus said to, says to Peter, feed my sheep. So what, so what have we just witnessed here with this, uh, this interchange, exchange between Jesus and Peter? Um, what have we, we just witnessed? Well, several things. First of all, we've witnessed Peter's transition from fisherman to to shepherd from fisherman to shepherd to to pastor to a pastor Jesus says um, he says to Peter feed my lambs take care of my sheep feed my sheep he's saying to Peter that if you are going to follow me then you're going to have to be somebody who takes care of my people my people and you know Jesus promised him early that I will make you a fisher of men and so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying your work as a fisherman that is now not your primary identity now you are a shepherd you are a pastor and so by doing this what Jesus is doing is he's he's empowering Peter he's empowering Peter to go forward in his ministry so that's the first thing that we learn from this the second thing it shows us which is so important is it shows us that, that Jesus aka God desires to forgive us it is Jesus's desire to forgive us he does not want us walking around in shame and guilt and self-condemnation God does not want that for you in fact these are the tools of the enemy okay shame guilt self-condemnation those are primary tools of Satan and Satan we're told wants to steal kill and destroy that's his plan for your life you know, you hear a lot of pastors and they'll be like, you know, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Well, guess what? Satan also has a plan for your life. And he's all too happy to hand it to you if, if you want to accept it, right? And unfortunately, many people do. They, they, they unwittingly accept Satan's plan for their life. When that is not what we're supposed to be destined for. The, the Lord has prepared good works for us to do. And God's plan for us is so much more life-giving. But Satan has a plan for your life, and that's because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The fact is, he hates you. He hates you. And one of the reasons he hates you is because God loves you. And anything God loves, Satan hates. But he wants you, if he had his way, Satan would want you to remain in this place of paralysis. Paralysis where your own shame and guilt and self-condemnation keep you in this place of of feeling you're unworthy to come before God. To stay in this place of of almost like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I I do behind closed doors. I'm not the person you think I am. If you only knew. Well, God does know. He knows all things. He knows all the things you do day in day out. He knows every thought that goes through your mind and in your heart. He knows the darkest corners of your life, and it is still His desire to forgive you. You know, you hear people say, um, <clears throat> "You, you don't, you don't know what I've done. What I've done is unforgivable. Even God can't forgive me for this." Never heard anybody say that. Perhaps you've said that yourself. To which I say. Your God is too small there's nothing you can do that is bigger than God nothing in fact when you say that you're actually making an idol out of your sin because what you're saying is you're saying my sin is bigger than God my sin is bigger than God's love and God's forgiveness and when you do that you undermine the work of the cross of Christ because you're saying the cross wasn't really enough you're saying, I'm, I'm a special breed of sinner who's too big for God and the cross of Christ. Well, it's just not true. What does the very same John who wrote this gospel, what does he say in his first epistle? In his first epistle, John's first epistle, chapter 2, verse 2, he says the following. He says, he, as in Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Your sin, whatever it is, it's not too big for God to forgive. And you don't need to be walking in this place of shame and guilt and self-condemnation. Now, of course, God's desire is to forgive us just like it was to forgive Peter. But, of course, you have to want to be forgiven. You have to be repentant. You have to be sorry. God's forgiveness is not a cheap gift for the unrepentant. It was a gift bought and paid for at a horrible price by Jesus on the cross. And again, John, in his first epistle, this time chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and for- will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's actually that, that symbol, folks. And what have you done, or maybe whatever you're still doing, is not too big for God to forgive if you come before him with a repentant heart. God's desire is to forgive us, just like Jesus' desire was to forgive Peter. If you still don't believe it, let me let me read a little bit of Psalm 103 to you. chapter 10, uh, Psalm 103, verses 10 to 12. Listen to what it says. Speaking of God, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who are. Who fear him? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It's an amazing piece of scripture that talks about the Lord's uh, love, how he is—he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, right? And by the way, that's what I just read you there. That's from the Old Testament. Okay, um, yeah, the old—that's the Old Testament God right there. Some people like to create this this lie. That, oh, the, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're not the same God. The God of the Old Testament is full of wrath and vindictiveness and all this kind of stuff. and Really? Is that what you get from reading that psalm right there? So great is his love? No. God's character is consistent through both the whole Bible. Is there a wrathful side to God? Absolutely. Because God hates sin and evil. Without that, we wouldn't have justice. But God's desire is to forgive us because of his great, great love for us. So as I said earlier, we uh, we witness Peter go from being a fisherman to a shepherd, to being a pastor to the sheep who belong to, to Jesus' flock. And now Jesus shows Peter what this will, will cost him. He says in verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus right here, what he's doing is he's prophetically telling Peter how he will be martyred. Of following Jesus will ultimately, it will cost him his life. And we get an indication of, of the death that Peter will meet here when we read that phrase, will stretch out your hands. This was most likely an indication to Peter being crucified. And in fact, uh, traditional church history tells us that Peter was indeed crucified. And that as um, as the story goes, he was uh, chose to be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as as Jesus. Um, and Peter was most likely martyred, as probably was Paul, um, in the sort of early to mid sixties AD, uh, probably under the Great Persecution under Emperor Nero, which was um, which was set off by the Great Fire of of Rome in AD sixty four, and uh, the Christians were um, falsely accused and blamed of being responsible for the fire in Rome it wasn't their fault at all and so what happened was there was a huge persecution broke out against the Christian community and it's believed that Peter and Paul uh, were killed during this persecution so what's kind of interesting here is is that John's gospel the gospel that we just read from was probably written uh, 80 85 AD somewhere in that time frame and so Uh, Peter would have probably already have been martyred by the time John wrote this gospel. So John would already be aware of of Peter's death. But Jesus here reveals to Peter how he would glorify God through his death. And he says to Peter, follow me. (laughs) Now think about that. Jesus has just said, yeah, by the way, following me will lead to your death. Now follow me. And on top of that, Peter lived around three decades with this prediction hanging over him. You can guarantee he never forgot those words that Jesus spoke to him. And yet he faithfully followed and served Christ his whole life. And you know, it makes me think, if I I present the same scenario to us today and ask, would you serve Jesus and faithfully follow him if you knew it was going to cost you your life, would you still do it? It's a tough question, isn't it? But you know, here's the ironic thing. If you don't follow Jesus, it will cost you your life anyway. So as, as Peter is he's contemplating all this, um, we suddenly we get a, a taste of uh, the old familiar Peter that we all uh, know and love. And he does what many of us are guilty of doing. Um, uh, and that is the um, the issue of comparison. Um, we are you know it's very easy to compare yourselves to others isn't it it's just a kind of a natural human trait that we um, without meaning to we're always comparing ourselves to others um, and it's a source of so much anxiety and unnecessary pain in life but this is exactly what peter does here he starts comparing himself to john and as he's walking with jesus he he turns around and points at john and you know but asks jesus well what, what about him what's you know what's going to happen to him And Jesus replies to essentially say, that's none of your business. Uh, Listen to verses 22 and 23. It says, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die he only said if I want him to remain alive until I return what is that to you so Jesus is saying look what is that to you that is not your business stop focusing on him and worrying about him and focus on yourself and your relationship with me and that's really good advice for us is, is, is to stop comparing ourselves to others and I'll tell you as a pastor oh my gosh pastors are the worst for this it's so easy to look at other pastors perhaps they have bigger churches and they seem to have more successful ministries and it's so easy to start comparing yourself and thinking wow you know, what am I doing wrong, or how come they've got this together, and gosh, am I, you know, and I I know if I'm guilty of it, I know plenty of other people are in, in whatever walks of life you're walking in, but comparison is such a destructive force of the world, and especially in the church. We have to realize that we are all different by design. God has designed each of us uniquely, and he's given each of us gifts that are given from God through the Holy Spirit that I'd used to serve him and to build up the church. So stop worrying and focusing on what he or she is doing and work on your own relationship with the Lord. And so finally, as we, as we get to the end of John's gospel here, um, if he had any doubts about the author, um, well, John essentially reveals himself here in verse 24. He says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So there's an affirmation here. Look, guys, what you're reading here is true and trustworthy, as is the whole Word of God, all Scripture. And in verse 25, the last chapter, last verse here of John's Gospel, we have this 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 beautiful just observation. It's kind of you can see, like almost John is thinking aloud here. He says, "Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books." That would be Rem. Is John exaggerating here? I mean, really? Jesus uh, really would fill the whole world up with books and more? Is he exaggerating? Well, only if you see Jesus as a man who walked on the earth for 33 years. But if you understand Jesus as John first presented him, right at the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God when you understand that Jesus is the incarnate word where John tells us through him all things were made and all of a sudden it's pretty easy to see how the whole world would not have room for all that Jesus has done and continues to do so as we we conclude not only John's gospel here but as we conclude Um, This little sermon series here. There's a few things I want you to take away today from from this passage of Scripture that we have read. One is that it's Jesus' desire to forgive us. It is his desire, it's God's desire to forgive us, just like it was Peter. It doesn't matter what you've done, or how bad you think it is, it is forgivable if you come with a repentant heart before the Lord. So it's God's desire to forgive us. It is also God's desire to empower us. And it's his desire for us to serve him faithfully to our dying day. To serve him our whole lives faithfully. And I want to leave you with this um, this verse from 2 Timothy 2.11. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of just infinite mercy, Lord, that it is your desire to forgive us. It is your desire that we come before you, Lord, that we approach you, that we do not have to hang our head in shame because Jesus took on the cross what should have been ours, Lord. And instead now, Lord, when we embrace your Son, Jesus, we can lift our head high knowing that we have been accepted into your family, that we are adopted sons and daughters, Lord, and that you love us like you love Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are battling with um, just perhaps hidden sin in their life or places of shame or guilt or condemnation, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, would you bring them freedom? Would you speak to their hearts right now, knowing that you are a loving God that desires their children to be set free, Lord? And so I pray that there would be new areas of freedom for people this morning, Lord, as they just repent and confess before you, Lord, and know that you are a God of love, mercy, and compassion, that you are slow to anger. abounding in love so father bless us this week thank you for your word and thank you that you are the one who empowers us to serve you to build your church up and i pray that you would help us to remain faithful all the days of our life through christ our lord we pray